no, don't apologize. Why are you sorry? <laughs> That's like the nicest thing anyone said to me in a while. Hello, and you're listening to Educated But Confused. I'm Avery, one of the three co-hosts for this podcast, and I wanted to introduce the episode you're about to listen to. The format is slightly different from what we normally do. Instead of Val and Yassine joining me, I interview Dr. Donald Robin with Noah Waller, who is a graduate student at the University of Michigan, also studying neuroscience. And we worked together in our undergrad research lab, Don's lab. And we thought it would be cool to sit down and talk with him about mentorship and what our relationships with Don have meant to us and how they've impacted our career paths. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It definitely meant a lot to me. I'm grateful to have sat down with both of them and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Avery, pronouns they, them. I am educated in neuroscience, both in my undergrad and then now in grad school. And right now I'm studying social cognition and I am confused about, um, I didn't really think about it before. I mean, I guess you guys didn't either. So, um, I am a little bit confused about my microphone. I'm holding the thing so that it doesn't make that sound, but I guess I kind of understand why it's doing that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what I'm confused about. Maybe I'll think of something more exciting. Um, I'm drinking a lime seltzer from Costco in the glass because I love seltzer. But yeah, um, cool. Noah, do you want to <laughs> do you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. Yes, cool. <laughs> I'm Noah Waller. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a current graduate student at the University of Michigan in the neuroscience graduate program. Uh, I'm working in the chronic pain and fatigue research center. So specialties in chronic pain disorders like fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm confused about, I'm going to do a bigger one, just like a life question that's been confusing me lately, which is (laughs) how to choose a career, um, especially as a graduate student who's just kind of gone straight from undergrad to grad and is now in this position of approaching what's going to come next when everything before this has really just been school to school to school. So that's that's where I'm at. And I'm drinking a um, Bush Light because (laughs) Saturday and I'm celebrating what has been kind of a hard week, but a good week. And yeah, excited to catch up. So amazing. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. There you go. Well, I'm Don Robin, if you need my last name. And, um, hi world. And, um, I'm educated in, uh, neuroscience, particularly system level neuroscience slash imaging, psychophysics and speech language pathology and music are my formal education. And, um, do I remember everything I'm supposed to say? So right now we, you know, um, we're doing a lot of work in TBI, less in chronic pain than we've done in the past, 
but I'm really excited about all this work we're doing in neuroforensics um, because of the um, NS, neuroscience students at UNH and a bunch of them really are interested in forensics and doing a dual major and um, sort of thinking about how brain imaging can fit into that whole world and what it can tell us is pretty um, exciting. And I have a grant just about written an R1, um, which is taking the treatment I developed and really looking at uh, doing a clinical trial along with looking at how it induces experience dependent neuroplasticity. So and I'm, that's how I want to end my career is really spending five to eight years on the treatment because it's really working and it, and and it's working well with people with stroke and it's also well working well with kids with a um, version of the disorder um apraxia which avery knows everything about actually or used to know yeah. everything about i know um, everything about apraxia um, i i am confused about a couple of things and so pursuant to our earlier conversation I, I am confused about the change in student attitudes following the pandemic. And I'm confused about how negative many of them are and actually how how mean a lot of them are without thinking about it. And it's really and and that's not to say that some faculty aren't. I mean, I've I've seen faculty who are completely unsympathetic to, to the students, you know, um, yeah. but it's it's both ways. And and um, and I'm also I'm just confused to extend that. I'm confused about why people in general are, are not very nice at times and why we still have horrible prejudice in the world. And, you know, um, it just blows me away to think that, you know, um, people of color, um, the LGBTQ community is still targeted, and I could go on and on. And, and it really does confuse me, you know, because it's just no, I don't know what solution there is anymore, because it's gone on for our entire history. And, and, and being my age, I thought things had changed a lot. What I, what I really think, I don't know if you want me to go on, but what I really oh, think God. is that we had it right in the 60s in many ways, um, not as to how we treated the kids coming back from Vietnam, because they were targeted and shouldn't have been, they were fighting for their country, but in all other ways. And I, was, I think back a lot to having seen Angela Davis speak, and I use a lot of her quotes with students on equity and fairness in societies, you know, and even uh, Abby Hoffman, I, I went and saw him and Al Rubin talk and all that. And it was just an exciting time of um, self-discovery and revolution that we've never had before. And it's reflected in the music, it's reflected in the art forms, it's reflected in the movies of, of the era. Um, yeah. And I'm glad I, I lived through that but I wish it would come back again. So I'm trying to make a concerted effort to be more of an activist again, like I used to be for, for some of those causes. I've been drinking coffee all morning. How do you drink your coffee? How do I drink mine? Well, yeah. I do cowboy coffee. Cowboy coffee? Yeah, I put a double shot of espresso in, 
then regular coffee, then sugar and cream. You are. That is insane. I have such a high sensitivity to caffeine. I like <laughs> can't have half a cup of coffee or I'll be up going crazy. I don't, I don't drink it after noon. Okay. Okay. Good. good. But I will tell you, Noah, I considered <laughs> making myself an old fashioned to do That's this. That's what I wanted to hear. You should have. <laughs> I was thinking, Avery, um, about my Iowa life, 18 years there. Um, yeah. Um, and I remember uh, in like my second or third year, uh, Carl Sagan came and his whole point of his lecture and the room was packed. I think it might have even been at Hancher Auditorium, which isn't there anymore, right? It was No, it's still there. Maybe it's new though. Flood. It's got to be new because it was killed by the flood, the one I went in. Okay. And, and he talked about climate change and his graphs. Yeah. And I remember not being quite convinced by his graph, but seeing the trend line and beginning yeah. to worry um, and just how right he was in 1984, right? I mean, yeah. he nailed it and he predicted all of this. And we didn't do anything then. Right. Yeah. And we're not going to do anything now, unfortunately, at least not in this country. Yeah. But anyway, Noah. <laughs> hey, let's talk about something happy. <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, finding research because maybe that will help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We launched into very confusing and very, uh, frankly, depressing yeah. topics today. Everybody <laughs> agreed. If We're you don't, research. if you don't hate science yet, from <laughs> all the. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, I'm curious and I'll share it too after, but how did you, I would love if you'd share the story of how you got involved in Don's lab and, and what your experience was with yeah, that. I'd love to share it. Um, yeah. So the journey of finding a love for science and just the journey of finding kind of what I wanted my next steps to be was really when I went to university of New Hampshire Honestly, my parents were psychologists and I always had kind of a biology leaning. I loved to whatever I had cats and bugs and all these kind of things. And when I went to apply for the major, neuroscience stood out as the bridge between psych and bio. And I knew that I might change my major along the way, but it was something that initially was pretty interesting to me. So I went in and UNH had this great course that was topics in neuroscience and behavior. And I think it's a course that a lot of programs should replicate, um, where every week they brought in a different speaker from a different lab in the neuroscience department or in Don's case, the communication sciences and disorders department, right? So they would bring speakers from all around the university who had labs, who had cool research going on. And the class was low on workload. So it was really, you just come and remain interested and listen to the speakers and I went to it week by week, was interested, saw some cool topics. And I just remember when Don came into the class and gave his presentation, it wasn't even what he was talking about. I was expecting the research to be something that struck me as extraordinarily interesting to me. And while it was, it was the way that Don talked and conducted himself and kind of just spoke to the room and spoke to the students in the room that immediately had me listening and attentive and after that class i called my dad and was like 
the speaker came in. He was really like cool. He commanded the room really well. And his research seemed interesting too. So I had this like kind of both approaches of a cool person doing cool research that I thought. And my dad was like, you should absolutely reach out to him because I was nervous to do so. I just was a freshman and I didn't really know what to do. And I emailed Don and set up a, a meeting. And I didn't even know that the path of pursuing research later would be paved by early research in undergrad. I didn't even understand that in undergrad, you could do work outside of your courses um, to maybe build towards something else and build other relationships. I really just, I just had no idea other than I was going to meet with Don and talk about what he did and if there was anything that I could do to be involved. Um, and I went into that meeting in your office at Hewitt Hall, I think, Don, and had some questions that I was like rehearsing beforehand on like, what do you do? Like what opportunities are available? And again, was struck by just the personable and the approachableness um, of kind of just who you are. And I think a lot of professors you come up to and it seems more unapproachable and they seem maybe like their heads in the clouds or they're not like going to talk to you on the level that you're coming in at. And as a freshman undergrad, that can be really intimidating. And Don just talked to me honestly, and it just felt like we were having a conversation and my anxieties just went away. Um, and from that point, I was just interested in joining the lab and I joined the lab and yeah, I just, the world kind of opened up in front of me about what opportunities there were in research and why that was cool to combine with coursework. Because coursework is I go in and I try my best to get an A on a test and it's kind of short-term gratification of like A to B. Research was very much, can I take what I learn in coursework, apply it to something that's much more meaningful or feels more meaningful, that's a long-term progressive goal of actually building scientific work that builds on the foundation established by you know a lineage of scientists. And I think I just really didn't know any of this coming into undergrads. And I think Don did a great job walking me through how that works and that scientific process. And just naturally, week by week, I just kept exploring more of those options and learning more about research. And it just it just struck me about how natural it all felt. It never felt forced, like I'm doing this research to get it on my resume for something else, because I didn't even know that would boost my resume. It was really like, I'm coming in this week to do this because I'm just building a project that I don't know when it'll end or what it'll lead to, but I know it'll put another stepping stone in front of this, this scientific frontier. So yeah, in long-winded way of saying, I was impressed by just the approachable, the approachability of Dom when it comes to mentorship, which I'm sure we'll get into and how important mentorship was and just showing me kind of what's beyond the studying for an exam in front of me and everything. That was really how it started. That's so awesome. So eloquently said. <laughs> I feel like I've told this story like a lot. You know? I hope I can have a recording of all this. So when I'm feeling down, I can listen to that again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you all. Um, I'll send you an edited version of this. But if you want like the raw file, I can also share that too. Yeah, um, I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Both. Uh, yeah. Dang. I think I've like similar in some ways and different in others like in my undergrad so I joined Don I joined the lab the start of my junior year um I had been in 
a lab before. So I guess I'll like briefly summarize like, yeah, neuroscience major in undergrad. I wanted to be pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor. I, in high school, became really interested in neuroscience through an AP psych class. And I just thought it was cool that there was like a physical basis to feelings and emotions and behavior. And, and so that was what led me down this path of studying neuroscience. Um, very materialist, you know, I mean, all of science is like materialist views, but yeah. And so I was really interested in that. That's why I did neuroscience. I, I wanted to like help people. My, my family members have a variety of neurological and neurodevelopmental disorders. And so that was really hard for me, like very traumatic in my adolescence, like seeing that happen and not being able to have any control over that. And just like not understanding what was happening. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, you're not okay. And I can't help you. And this is hard. And so I think that's kind of part of it for me um, is that I wanted to, I wanted to find some control in it and I wanted to try and help like in the future people go, go through this process and find diagnoses and treatments and stuff. And so, yeah, I like wanted, I thought I wanted to do med school and that was like a big confusion for me. And yeah, like Donna, we've had conversations so many about, oh, should I go to med school? Should I do an MD, PhD? Should I do a PhD? Like, what even is this? Like, what's the difference? Um, But yeah, so that was where I was at. I struggled a lot my sophomore year. year. Like academically, I was doing okay, but I was not doing as well as I wanted to do. And I felt like I wouldn't be able to get into med schools at that point. I was like, okay, like it's over. That dream's over. (laughs) And I ended up going to um, talk with Randy. I forget his last name, but he was in like trio support services for like underrepresented students or low-income students. And I I ended up chatting with him and it was basically like therapy sessions um, once a week where we just talked about, okay, why did you come to study neuroscience? And like, what do you want to do? And stuff and then talking about study habits and stuff like that. And so that made me realize through those conversations that I really was interested to do research and that that was where I wanted my impact to be in this like big messy web of stuff that I wanted to do. Um, And yeah. And so I just thought that the potential to have really broad impact through a finding was like what excited me at that point. And yeah, I like I joined a lab um, that did EEG work um, with Bob Ross, Robert Ross, (laughs) not the painter. (laughs) um, And I was in his lab and I was like, okay, this is fine. Um, But I wasn't super excited about it. um, Or maybe the fit just wasn't great of like mentorship and style. And then I went over the summer to do this like unpaid summer internship at mass eye and ear and like auditory neuroscience and that was like really cool i was just like whoa the inner ear is the coolest biological structure i've ever heard of and seen and like this is so cool um and so i left really like invigorated and like it was unpaid and i i my family is I'm from no one was supporting me financially. And so I had to like 
I was in lab like nine to five and then I'd walk an hour across the city to go work from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. at a bar. And then I would like go do it all again. <laughs> so it was a lot of hard work to just like exist there. But it was so it was still so rewarding and I still did it every day. And I don't know, I would not do that now, but like find someone who pays you <laughs> to the listener. But um, yeah, it was just like really great. And so I left that and I was so excited. And then I, there was an email maybe sent out to students about some research labs in neuroscience and Don, your lab was on there. And I remember reading about kind of like the music side of things, the mindfulness side. And at that time I was really interested in that. Um, and so I was like, oh, this sounds very cool. I think like this is where I would like to, to go next, um, for a lab at UNH. And so we had met and you were also, I think, the only lab that used fMRI. And are you still? I don't know. Like at, well, at, well, at yeah, UNH. You know, um, Bob <laughs> Ross has left. <laughs> right. Ross left UNH. I didn't know um, that. And in psych, there's, there was someone, um, Caitlin, now I'm blanking on her last name, but... Um, who was brilliant and did fMRI work for her dissertation, but wasn't doing okay. it. And she and her wife took a job in Minnesota. They got an offer they couldn't refuse, and they were mm. not that happy in New Hampshire. A anyway, so just uh, Ramage and I do imaging, and we haven't scanned anyone since the pandemic started because okay. we don't have a scanner at, as you know, duh, at New Hampshire. Um, and, and the one grant, I put in over the pandemic, um, the reviewers, for some reason, were concerned about our taking participants up to Boston, you know, um, mm. and, you know, it depends on the reviewers at any given time. And, you know, sort of some of them have different senses of that. And so we've been doing uh, the mindfulness stuff and all that uh, through telepractice. But, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so yeah. we are, and, and we just hired a new person from Yale who's interested in learning. She does EEG stuff, but she's interested in translating her work to humans. She does work in animal models and potentially doing some fMRI. So that was really unique. And I was very excited also about fMRI and just MRI in general and how it worked and like the measure and what it meant. And so I wanted to dive into that more. So for all of those reasons, I was interested in the lab. And then we also, I emailed you and we scheduled a meeting time. Um, and I went in and I was so anxious and <laughs> nervous. And I remember you gave me a book, which I still have. I should have grabbed it to show you on my bookshelf, the mindfulness. I think it was like UNH was giving it to all the freshmen to read, like this mindfulness book. Um, and so, yeah, we were talking. And and you gave me this book. And you're like, you should read this. And um, and that was really funny. I was like, oh, is it because I seem so like anxious and nervous, or is it just because of, like the lab studies mindfulness? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, do you know now? No. Do you know? I do. Do you want was, me to yeah, yeah. Tell me. I mean, <laughs> my guess is because I'm anxious. Um, and it actually like mindfulness does 
it's really helpful for me managing my anxiety um like in general so it has been really helpful but i don't know if you recall our discussion but my brain still works enough and i used to have pretty much um um photographic except autographic memory so i never had to take notes in college i just remembered the lectures so i actually remember amazing and not only were you feeling anxious and that showed a little bit which is fine lots of students are when they they come in but you talked about um your struggles and your confusion with what to do in life on that very wasn't right away but after we got going you just brought that up and i think you even mentioned having um you you were challenged by your career path whether you even wanted to do research at this point because you had bounced around and um so that's why this book was kind of interesting maybe it'll help you you know it's still on yourself so maybe maybe it'll help you still if you ever need it i don't know it probably will (laughs) give it a reread that's but that's why and i you know i just had this sense um that maybe you needed a little stability um somewhere that was maybe a pivot point for you to explore and feel a little safer with yourself to take some risks yeah i think that in my undergrad the biggest thing that i struggled with was not believing in my own ability to do science and just like be a person who could do things (laughs) that was useful and helpful to other people um and obviously you know i still have that sometimes but uh i think that your lab really helped like give a space for me to figure that out and work through that and then see myself in a different light and be like okay i am capable i can do things and um and learn stuff and figure things out and i think yeah it was just it felt like a very safe environment from the get-go like the fact that i was so open with you about those struggles my own career concerns i think speaks to to you and how how you create a safe a safe environment for people to grow in the ways that they need and so yeah that's that's how i found the lab like yeah it really speaks i think there's some parallels in your and i stories avery and some differences i think in a lot of ways you're motivated science and i wasn't i was like a little bit confused by what science you know i wanted to pursue and everything but i think the key parallel is just that role of mentorship and how i think that's what sparked like what i wanted to do and what i wanted to continue to do and in your space the lab that you wanted to join like it's amazing what power like a good presence um can make in it and the passing of books is a a key thing don gave me um earlier lesions in psychoanalysis book i think it was like very early when lesion analysis was the gold standard for determining what brain regions do what and i saw yeah. that his first book he gave me and it's just like how cool that is it's so meaningful to give a book it's just passing some knowledge and everything that comes with it so yeah, yeah good choices of books done 
That was the Damasio and Damasio book. I think so. Wow. Wow. Iowa. It's all. <laughs> They're not at Iowa anymore, though. They're at USC. USC. Yeah. They built they, an institute. Yeah. Their institute has like uh, an amphitheater or something for music, too. Yep. So cool. Yeah. Good for and them. That's how I got to know Francis Crick was through Tony and they did a BBC series at Iowa on memory loss and some of those Alzheimer's, but they can play a concerto. And they also brought in other people. So Francis Crick came in because he was doing a lot of um, um, philosophy then, neurophilosophy and working with Patricia Churchland in San Diego. And then when I moved to San Diego, um, I had a joint appointment between UCSD and San Diego State. I was mostly at San Diego State, but when I'd go up to the Salk Institute to work with some friends of mine and over to, we'd always go have lunch at the faculty area at UC and Francis invited us over and then I'd see him now and again, he kind of mentored me a little bit. I do want to, if I, if I may, um, yeah. um, when I was graduating from high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be a full-time musician. Everybody in my band, our band was quite popular, became actually quite well-known. Our drummer was Prince's drummer for years. Um, He's on two or three of the albums, you know. Um, And I decided I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. And I ended up, my family, my dad moved from University of Pittsburgh to Stanford. Um, And when I, and when we got out there, I decided to go to a junior college nearby. And I was a music major in classical music, which was really a mess for me because I, I could play, I played classical violin for years but it's not what I really wanted to do. I was already, I started playing rock and jazz when I was six on the guitar. And then I was doing this classical violin stuff and I was crashing and burning really. And an English professor, my English 101 or whatever they call it, 1A, um, took me aside after a week and said, I'm a professional jazz piano player. And, you know, um, and you're this classical violinist and do you want to talk? And, but the real reason I pulled you over is you can't write. You're a horrible writer and um, in a very kind way. Right. And he said, but if you want, I'll take the time to help you, but you have to work at it. You know, he said, I don't want you to say yes and then not show up. So I had to write him a paper a week. He met with me Friday evenings. Friday evening to work with me for a whole semester. Every Friday he wanted a paper due in the morning and that evening he would have read it and we went through it. And by the end of my first year of college, I was tutoring. I was a tutor support in the writing program. (laughs) Seriously. And so he was a really great mentor for me. Um, and we became very dear friends. We're still friends. He's 80. I'm worried about him. I want to fly to San Francisco because when you're 80, 85 and I'm 70, we 
Um, and we're the best kind of friends because we can go two years and not talk to each other. But as soon as we do, we're still best friends. We know we love each other. Um, and he taught me a lot about the importance of mentorship and that student professor relationship and how positive it can be rather than fear. I'm not going to pass this class. I wasn't doing well in this class, but because of him, I felt okay about it because I knew he cared. Yeah. So, and then really fortunately in my life, I had then had a series of really strong mentors, people who just cared. So I remember when I was at Stanford, I took a biochemistry course with uh, Arthur Kornberg, who'd gotten the Nobel Prize for Polymerase A. And he one just came over and said, you want to go to lunch today? I said, sure, and took me to lunch and uh, then took different students to lunch. And that was just, and he taught me that even in a classroom situation, your mentorship skills can be really important to inspire people to work a little harder and to maybe think of their lives a little differently. And when mm -hmm. I went to the University of Redlands for my master's degree in speech, and the head of the program was um, a guy named Maurice Durall. And he took me under my wing and he was my first formal mentor. And it just, and when I went, did my doctorate, Fred Royer, who was my doctoral mentor, was just the kindest, nicest person. And he prepared me for job interviews and he prepared me for marriage and he prepared <laughs> me, you know, and, and, and so I got the sense that, that there's a, um, mentorship that can be just in science or just in studying or whatever it is just in your job or there are mentors who are broader and try to help you think through your life and the balance and where academics fit into that balance and life and how to learn how to balance your life a little better so i became and i thought this be, and then i met uh, as and went to iowa for my first job and um, um, Ken Mall was the VP for research or something like that, um, high up. And he was from the CSD department. Uh, and he came back. He stepped down from administration, came back. And he came to my office and he said, and I was not even tenured yet. You know, I was fairly new there. And he said, I don't know what to do. I think I'm too old to, to I've been out of the field for long enough that I don't think there's much that I can do. And I said, you want to mentor me? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, what is that? And I said, well, I don't know exactly, but let me tell you the experiences I've had that le led me to ask you this. And then let me explain to you why you're the person who, before you even came into this office, I thought would be a good mentor for me. And then he turned out, to be great he stuck around and didn't retire right away and he started mentoring other junior faculty and um um so i just had great mentors and those people you know stand out and they're very famous people wanted won a nobel prize you know mm. one had um you know just and they were just kind and good and they were rigorous 
I mean, he didn't take a course in biochemistry from a Nobel Prize winner and not have to work your ass off. But yeah. he was just kind. And I kind of thought, I I'm not always kind. And I'd like to be kind to everybody, <laughs> you know? And I don't think I am these days. Sometimes I'm not. And I, I don't like myself in those moments. Um, and and I think um, I, I sometimes hit a limit um, of tolerance with the world, and I let that um, I let that bother me, and, and then it spreads out sometimes to a relationship that it shouldn't, even yeah. if that other person is being a bonehead, you know, or something. There's no reason for me as I said before, to not think of them as a human and as someone with a context that brings them to these behaviors. So, but nevertheless, that's how I fell in love with mentoring. And, 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 and you guys, um, from the first minute I met you, Noah, I was praying you'd stay in my lab. I had a really, really and I have these good insights, by the way, about people. I really do. I have these guts about people. And um, I thought you, Avery, I thought you, maybe if you stuck around, I just had this feeling we'd get along and maybe I could help you a little bit, not just in school, but life, which is why I gave you that book, obviously. Um, and I also thought you were brilliant. And oh. you too, Noah. And then when you went off to London and we started doing some formal work together, I knew you yeah. were, I knew you were absolutely exceptional and both of you were exceptional as human beings. Um, that has nothing to do with me. It just made my job easier. Um, and hopefully my friendship with both of you, which I prize. And, oh, Lord, enough said. Thanks, Don. That means a lot to hear. Thank you. Sorry. No, don't apologize. Why are you sorry? That's like the nicest thing anyone said to me in a uh, life. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, you guys are pretty special. Yeah. I think it's like I'm trying to reflect on this relationship and put into words like what it means to me and it's really hard because I think I don't know like in my undergrad when we would meet and stuff every meeting I came out and I felt like I learned 20 different things that I didn't know which was really exciting and I still feel that way um but yeah I think um it's meant a lot for me to see someone in science who is like, from my eyes, just a really good person. And, you know, whether or not you're kind all the time, which, you know, I've, I've seen you be, I think nothing but kind. I don't know if I have a time where I saw you be mean or anything. Um, but like, of course, people are people, <laughs> Like, you know, there's so much going on. And I think that's really fair. Like I have, I think right now 
for me, I definitely have times where it's just really rough. And just because of like, the world is insane. Like, (laughs) I don't understand what's happening or why things are happening. And I don't know, like, um, over the summer, I guess, like I came out as non-binary, both like to myself and started using they, them pronouns. And, and it was really nice for like one week where I was like, wow, I just feel really close with who I am as a person and really honest about who I am and, and just being able to communicate that and stuff. And then now like, just like week after week, watching bills be proposed and passed in different areas that are restricting the rights (laughs) of people. I'm like, wow, are there people who just like hate my existence just because of this one thing? And there are, and that's confusing and upsetting and, and overwhelming sometimes. And so there are days where I'm just like, I'm home. Like I can't, can't be alone right now. And, and then, you know, like someone will message me and be like, Hey, can you help me with this thing? And I'm like, I guess, like, <laughs> I guess I can help you with this thing. But right now I'm like, really not feeling it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's really relatable. And yeah, I forgot where I started there, but thank you for sharing. It means a lot. And, yeah. you know, yeah. in um, the Jewish religion, and I'm Jewish, not particularly religious, even though my daughter is, uh, my oldest is orthodox or something or maybe she's conservative now but it's called doing a mitzvah a mitzvah and and you're commanded to do a mitzvah and 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 which means a good deed for somebody without being asked or anything it's it's inherent in the religion that you do good the two of the tenets that i absolutely love one is you do good now don't wait till you go to heaven because what's that going to do on earth where people are living so you do good now and part of that is doing mitzvahs which is to just do something for someone who needs it even if they don't even know you just do a kindness and and you just do that and it becomes woven into the fabric of who you are um over time because it's just like anything you just are used to um doing it the other thing that judaism teaches is scholarship so in in the Jewish religion, you you need to be a scholar. It's part of just what you learn, you know. So my family was very scholarly, um, even though they were actually um, when they met, they were met on a blind date. My parents to a communist party meeting, and my dad was named after um, Eugene Debs. Do you guys know who Eugene Victor Debs is? So he was the no. first person in this country to run on the free party ticket the independent party ticket um and was a socialist um and you know friends with people like the rosenbergs who are the only two people um um, put to death in this country thanks to eugene mccarthy and that all was interwoven in there but but the tenets of judaism as a culture i think led to to um some good things in terms of my development as a person that's awesome yeah i can I feel- tell you i can tell you when i went to iowa i thought after during my first year uh it was the number one program in the world you know and all of the people's who books i had studied were on the faculty there and for the yeah. first year i kept waiting for them to come to my office and say you know we 
gave this job to the wrong person because <laughs> I couldn't believe it in posture yeah. syndrome, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sure we can. <laughs> Avery, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like I felt this way in undergrad and in grad school, probably 10 times more that imposter feeling of like, how did I get accepted here? Like, how am I still like uh, officially able to do the tasks that I am entrusted with the data and everything? And I think, especially mm -hmm. in a graduate school environment or in a new position like Don was talking about, you're just, it's overwhelming. And a lot of times you don't have positive support to be like no you're you are doing well so that's where finding the key mentors whether that's in peers or in positive relationships with your pi or anything has been crucial for me i think the imposter syndrome would have driven me into the into the floor were it not for people being like no you got this like you are doing well kind of holding me up like yeah. that yes yeah i feel that way so much i remember i hadn't used the command line like ever until Don in your lab, I think you you taught me first. You're like, have you used a command line? I was like, what is that? <laughs> and then you showed it to me or something like that. And then in my postback job, like, what line? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Command line. Command? Like command line on the computer? Yeah. Terminal? Terminal? Oh. Yeah. I taught you that? Yeah. I didn't know what it was. And oh, then okay. you would use that term and I, I was like, what? And and scripting, like that was the first time I'd used like written scripts and or I didn't really write scripts in lab. I just edited them for running subjects through. But um, yeah, and then in my postback, I like really had to learn it. And because that's kind of why they had to analyze this, all their neuroimaging data. And, and so I was working with files and all this stuff. And so I was writing all these scripts and, and it was really overwhelming for me because I didn't have any formal background in it and so I felt really <laughs> imposter syndrome in the beginning and going through that and now I'm at a place where I feel you know I'm not an expert or professional but I can like do stuff and and write scripts edit scripts blah 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 and work with stuff and I've become really passionate about spreading that to other people who haven't worked in that way because I felt so overwhelmed and I just want to like try and take that away from other people and say hey yeah, this is overwhelming. If you haven't worked with it before, I felt that way too. Like we can figure it out together and like, let me help you. And that's been really meaningful. Um, but imposter syndrome in general, so real. And I think that it's really tough. And then in the moments where it goes away, it's like the most, it's the best feeling ever. Like uh, I had I had applied for these different fellowships over the summer last summer, and then I got into all of them. And then my lab helped support me to go to all of them. And so I went, most of them were like funded, but yeah. And so I went to all of them and I was just like traveling the world that summer and like meeting all of these people that, you know, I've followed their work and I know what they're doing and I respect them so much. And, and then I'm like sitting at a bar having drinks with them and they're explaining like, uh how beers work <laughs> whatever um to me and and it's just blowing my mind and then by the end of it I'm like okay I belong here like I feel like I belong here and these people are just people <laughs> and just, we're yeah, yeah. we're all just trying to your do self-efficacy right this your self-efficacy is so important 
So you're right, your belief in what you can do. And for me, that's extended to knowing what your weaknesses are in a really realistic, honest way. So you can work mm -hmm. with them too and be oh, okay with them. And, and the whole area of self-efficacy has been really interesting because a single word can destroy someone's self-efficacy. So in the clinical sense, um, they've done these studies, and now I talk about it in my class, that if you use the term compliance for someone coming to therapy, it actually lowers their self-efficacy and they might not show up. If you use the term engagement and don't put any judgment or weight on it. So if I tell a client, hey, you're engaging great, and I don't judge them for getting something right or wrong. So if they just do some homework that I asked them to do, they just have to do it. They're engaging. Whereas compliance, it, it just it's, it always fascinates me how a single word can like change your whole psyche. And if you have someone in your life who is supposed to be a mentor or is who is a supervisor, a single word that they say can really knock you down and pretty hard. So it's it's you know that's kind of. I don't know how that fits into here, yeah. but what the heck? I think for mentorship, I think that's so I'm curious for both of you, if you've ever had a really bad mentorship or something that felt unhealthy, toxic, like not helpful to you. Cause I know like I've met people who have had really like tough mentorship situations or research relationships and some of them get through it. Some of them leave uh, like academia because of that. And so I'm curious if it's happened to either of you. I, I don't think I've really had one that's been like pretty bad and I feel lucky. For yeah, I uh, agree. I feel fortunate in that I haven't had one that's been exceptionally bad. Again, started with a really high bar with Don um, and my current PIs in graduate school, Dr. Richard Harris and Dr. Stephen Hart are both awesome, super supportive, and it hasn't been a negative. Why, Why do you think I wanted you to go there? I know, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sidebar is that Don paved the road and put the idea in my head to get a U of M um, for grad school, University of Michigan. But oh, yeah, I joined the, that lab. But yeah, very nice people. But I have had, I had a close friend who just, um, it's kind of a nightmare. Uh, they just graduated with their, with their doctorate and they told their PI that they were going to go into industry um, with that doctorate which is a whole nother conversation about the stigma surrounding industry but um and the pi just said i feel like i've wasted all my time on you and like talk about one word wasted talk about one sentence that can just blow somebody out of the water i mean luckily this person was out with their doctorate now and so they're probably like okay yeah now i'm going full industry but it's just like oof imagine the negativity of that relationship throughout and what they had to go through to get that doctorate in the first place without likely support for exploring anything outside of academia you know oh my gosh yeah yeah that's a shame just that's such a, a shame and i feel like that is such a shame and that's so it's good to hear i guess because i think a lot of people think that stigma is going away because there's not enough room in academia for all the phds that we're graduating so like even if you want to stay you can't always stay right. um and also the the line we draw between it is not as 
definitive as I think people make it out to be like in general, like how universities function is very business-like and, and I don't know. Um, yeah. There are one differences, of, but. One of the smartest students I ever had, Heather Clark, she's now head of the speech section in neurology at the Mayo Clinic. Wow. And she came to me for her doctorate. Um, I recognized that she was brilliant, which I mean, you know, intimidatingly so, even for a mentor to be around to us. But she's the nicest person in the world. And she just said, I want to work in your lab, but I don't want to graduate and be necessarily in academia. I certainly know I don't want to be a full-time researcher or at a place like Iowa where, you know, the research is the primary mission. I, I want to be a great teacher. I want to appreciate research and teach my students about it and inspire them. And I want to be a clinician and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, do it. And, you know, she first went to a small school that was primarily teaching, but the program just rose and rose and rose because she was there and her sort of um, exuberance and ability to bring an appreciation for research, even if you're not doing it. You know, now she's at the Mayo Clinic and mainly doing clinic work, but she's publishing when when she wants. And interest is in, important. It, we should never limit people's goals. I, I, you know, I sometimes say, wow, I probably said it to you, Avery. We really need you because we need strong um, female role models in science. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you have to be in academia to be that strong role model, right? Yeah. You can make it your business to make sure you reach out and and do the same thing to inspire people. I think, I I I think we all learn, and I think you guys hopefully have too. Once you have a really strong mentor, you kind of gravitate and know what to look for, and you know what to avoid in people. So I usually have had good mentors. My negative experience was San Diego when the primary people I was working with, one of them who was a very good friend of mine at the time, but were just narcissistic assholes. And, uh, you know, I said, and, and they were smart and everything. And sometimes we'd go to dinner and have fun, but they just weren't very nice people. And I, yeah, you know, it precipitated my moving to San Antonio because I just didn't, feel I wanted to work around in an environment like that it just wasn't healthy and it wasn't fun. And I don't have to get along with everybody. I don't even have to be, you know, friends with anyone in the department, as long as the environment is supportive and positive. Yeah. Your dad did a real kindness to my daughter. What's us, right? But as soon as she started keen, he reached out for her before she even started to her and she never took him up on it. But the fact that he did that, speak so highly of him and his his caring nature i think yeah my dad was just a uh, dr james waller and he uh i was open with him about like i said the call to him about uh meeting with don and starting that and i think he just heard through our calls throughout my undergraduate experience how awesome of a mentor don had been through everything and the moment he learned um you know uh, don's he was coming to to Keene State College, he was just 
so excited and reached out immediately um, to offer support. You know, it's it's that tradition of mentorship that is so greatly supported often in academia and hopefully in other fields too, that now I want to be like a way better mentor for the undergraduate students that I work with. And like my dad wants to be a mentor for, you know, we just like it pass, you pass it down with that. So it's so wonderful to see. And since we're scientists, the data show that <laughs> schools that have formal mentorship programs, some colleges even have associate deans of mentorship, um, retain faculty at, I'm making this number up because I don't remember exactly what it was, but 40 or 50% better than schools that don't have formal mentorship programs for faculty. Um, Retention of students and the success of students in schools that have formal mentorship programs is much higher. Um, graduation rates are higher. So mentorship, re- good mentorship really matters in people's um, lives, you know? So um, I try to let people know, it doesn't matter how old you are, what your level of position is, good mentorship can always help. Have you sought out mentorship or Because I imagine, you know, like seeking out mentorship for more than one person is good because again, data, like it's nice to have a couple data points to average together and then help you like make a decision. But um, do you seek out mentorship in other ways, like outside of UNH then? Well, you know, I have my friend from my English professor who taught me how to write. Yeah he's still in my life just the way I'm in still in the lives of a lot of my former students and we've become friends, but it's still a mentoring relationship. Um, but, but we're really close and I can, so I still have people like that in my life. And, and that's one of the beautiful things I think about being, hopefully creating a positive mentorship with people is that it can be lifelong. Yeah. You guys could always reach out to me anytime you want. And I'll be there. Right. I will continue to do so. (laughs) By the way, Maddie Smith is about to graduate with her master's. He's looking at doctoral programs and she went through the master's program with her mom. Her mom had been a speech assistant. And now all the kids are grown up and Maddie got into the program. And I said to her mom, Rachel, I said, didn't you always want to get a master's degree in the field? And she said, yeah. And I said, seems like now's the time. So she ended up coming and they're graduating together. It's really great. That's great. And That's you know, she wanted to stick around for the master's because she couldn't do her um, undergraduate thesis because of the pandemic. So she's finishing and that's one of the big breakthroughs is her work that we have right now. So pretty, pretty proud of her. That's so cool. But you knew Avery, you know, Maddie, you knew Maddie. I think I, I was there when she was joining the lab because you had known her parents. No, she was there before you. I, she actually started in the lab her last summer before starting college. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, I remember Maddie. Yeah, but that's awesome. I went to her wedding not that long ago. What? 
Wow. Wow. Dang. Okay, cool. That's that's so weird that people grow up and stuff. You do. And then then suddenly you look like this. You don't think you do. I still feel like I did. You know, with all the aches and pains and illnesses I've had, I just feel like I did when I was 21. Yeah. I just get surprised when I look in the mirror, when I can't do something physically, you know, I kind of don't believe it. And you know, I track some of that because I used to be a basketball player, man. I played every day in Iowa, wow. seven days a week. Where did you play? In the field house, the basketball center. Oh. Yeah. And I played league, league ball. And then at some point I realized when I put my move on people, they were still in front of me. And I went, wow, that guy must be really fast. You know, what's going on here? You know, and then, no, you're just getting old. One of my like final-ish questions is just about, still on mentorship topic, but like how, what do you think is important in when you actually think about being a mentor? Like what are the, like, if you could give someone advice on how to be a good mentor, what advice would you give? And also attached to this, because like, this is sort of my answer but like how do you end like how do you bring your whole self to lab or do you think that's important so the first thing i tell someone is make sure this is what you want to do because it's a commitment and um if you engage in any activity and don't want to do it or at some level don't find it satisfying you're going to be crappy at it and um so i i want people to think about you know do they want to do it and if they do what sort of mentor do they want to be and um and i tell them that they need to be someone who cares deeply about people on a one-on-one level to try and that there's a serious responsibility with being a mentor because people are going to trust you and you can't harm that trust so you whether you, whether intentionally or unintentionally you cannot harm the trust and there's a a, a a burden that comes with that that you either accept or don't accept and if you feel like you don't want to take that responsibility on. You shouldn't be a, a mentor, at least an overall mentor. Maybe you'd be okay to be, how do I get a grant mentor? You know, and that's sort of a splinter mentor system. So, um, and I tell them that um, they need to listen to what, so in academia, you need to listen to what your students are telling you. And you need to get really good at reading them. Because uh, particularly early on, because early on, like you guys are talking about, you don't know how someone's going to respond. Um, you don't know if you're sitting in someone's. I mean, I wanted to be friendly in my office because I hope I'm a friendly guy, but I also want it to be an environment again where people felt comfortable and like they could say things and they might sense that 
when they first come and 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 so people have to really really embrace that concept and embrace the concept of uh, part of what i'm doing in academia is something that i love because i want to see other people grow and find fulfillment in their life um, and be more successful than i was and i think if you don't have that attitude you're not going to be as good as you should be and if your own goals get in the way of your students goals you know um that's not what mentorship is about your mentorship is is a dual relationship and it's a back and forth um but it also part of that responsibility is to say in this moment with this person I'm there to support them. And sometimes that support is a lot of kindness. Sometimes that support is Avery. The paper was due yesterday. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying you did that, but you know, I'm trying to remember if I did, I wouldn't put it past me. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't either. I'd have to, I don't think you did, but at, at any rate, right. Is sometimes drawing the line. Now I don't feel, I think once people graduate, you can move still be a mentor and move into sort of friendship like i have with many of my mentors um but i think there was a line drawn like you didn't hang out at my house you know yeah. all the time we didn't go out drinking beers every friday night occasionally you know with a group but so so there is a line there um um so that's I guess that's my my answer and and then if you're going to do it get training either work with someone who mentors you in being a mentor because it's not it's a skill and you have to learn and there's things you should do or not so i've taken a lot of workshops on mentorship read books because i think you know it's a skill set and and it's um there's a knowledge base to it you know in addition to just your natural tendencies Does that answer your question? <laughs> that does answer my question. Yeah, no, it does. I think that's really helpful to hear. Um, it makes me want to seek out some mentorship training. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it can be the most satisfying thing in the world. Okay, Maddie, if she listens to this, she'll hear this. But she asked me the other day, because uh, she's looking at doctoral programs now, and her husband is at... Dartmouth getting a PhD, so they don't want to leave this area. He's from Texas. So she's looking at Harvard, MGH, and places like that for her PhD. And she said, my study has turned out really cool, and I've really learned so much, but I have like 20 other questions. I said, yeah, this study is a grant wanting to happen, and it's a series of, uh, of projects. And she said, but am I allowed to take it with me? And that was mm -hmm. Maddie. And I was, at first, I was sort of shocked. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, she's she's really showing respect for the lab and for intellectual um, property, you know. But I, I said to her, of course, take it with you. And she said, well, are you going to be on everything? I said, I don't know. And, you know, if it doesn't matter to me, this is 
this is shared intellectual property now. And I hope within a year, your own projects emerge from this that are totally yours. So don't, I mean, don't worry about it. Go and enjoy and, you know, see what, whether it overlaps with the person you're working with and what you want to do, but it's not just mine. None of my projects are just mine. I mean, good Lord, I couldn't have made the progress I did, particularly at New Hampshire without you guys. You have equal, you have equal say in all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think then that that's the satisfaction you get out of mentorship is to see people succeed and that success and being okay. So going back to working the, your thing, Noah, and defining success as the things that keep people happy and productive in their lives, no matter what they are. That's my only, that's my goal for my kids. And that's my goal for all of you to just lead as happy and as productive a life as you can. And I always say as happy as you can, because we're not always happy and some people never achieve, but for their lives to just strive to be, uh, um, develop a fulfillment. And, and if someone does that, it's for a mentor, it's the most satisfying experience in the world the thing that means the most i'll throw away the first hundred publications of mine for one student to be successful honestly don's just telling us the he's just the absolute best mentor it's crazy it's so good to hear you say all this don just it's awesome it almost brings me to brings me to tears you know it's been such a such a good journey and it's it's so cool that we can meet like this and still talk on a podcast and just <laughs> we keep in touch when there's not like necessarily professional ties that hold any of us together. It's like just friendship ties and continuing that mentorship, mentee relationship and everything. Well, there is an onus on you both. And I don't <laughs> know if you recall my saying this, but I know I did that once you graduate and you're successful, then you're taking me to dinner when we're at a meeting or somewhere. Yes. And I'm gonna not be constrained in what I order <laughs> in terms of the wine. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. that's what <laughs> part of that is in the context of occasionally paying for a lunch or a dinner or something. And and so that's how you can pay me back is to. <laughs> someday in the future now you're gonna have to move quickly because i'm 70 so you never know. I know at the moment my budget cannot accommodate don well you're not done yet in bourbon and bourbon but one day it will you're not yeah. you're not in the that the you're not ready to do that yet right. but you're still in school yeah but someday huh. you'll be in industry or school and <laughs> in academia and you'll be able to I think this is a good place to end the official like podcast recording, but we like to finish out the episode in asking if you remember to ask and I'll remember is, do you have any just general advice, wise words, things that you want to leave the listener with after this discussion that we've had um, and feel free to take a minute and think about it. Well, <laughs> what comes to mind is to say, um, <laughs> It seems like a cop-out because it's their whole conversation, but I think this is the takeaway and this is what this conversation reminds me of. And this is what I want the whole podcast to remind listeners of is 
just find good mentors, whether that's pursuing whatever research you want to do, focusing on the good mentor, maybe before even your research interest, or whether that's any period of your life that you're in, I think it's lonely without a good mentor. And with a good mentor, it can just save you a ton of time and stress and make a massive impact on your life. So kind of a cop out, mm-hmm. but that's how I feel. So I think that's great advice. I don't think that's a cop out at all. <laughs> I'm no. glad you said that. You know, I think I would say beyond what's been said here, you know, I think you have to discover yourself first and um, make yourself a priority at times in order to be a good mentor to others. And um, and I, I think you need to um, really really um just embrace a world or live a life where you try to not be judgmental of others and rather understand where they're coming from in order to work and and develop a healthy relationship as well as a mentorship and and though that for me is really um critical and i do think when i was younger 20s or something i wouldn't have been a good mentor because i hadn't thought about myself enough and once i did and um discovered myself in ways that i like um and and sort of the whole package of likes and things i don't like about myself it it allowed me to then try to impart some information to others and try to to be that mentor and um i always hope it's successful and talking to you guys i think i feel really positive i'm like really touched deeply you didn't like that triple berry breezer 